Welcome, everyone. This is Mia Ferroletto, publisher of New Observations Magazine. Today we have the distinct pleasure of welcoming hemp um, activist, um, uh, vision, uh, visionary, and really one of the key people who uh, launched the entire industrial hemp movement in America, uh, Doug Fine. Doug, welcome to the show. Wow, thank you so much for having me, Mia. It's an honor to be among uh, like a real lot of amazing people that you've spoken with and uh, surprising to me to be included in their company. So thank you for bringing me on here in my hemp field, close to harvest. Oh, you're in your hemp field. Wonderful. <laughs> mm-hmm. Very fragrant. And, and harvesting uh, tomorrow with the full moon. Is that right? Yeah. Yes. Before we spoke, I've been walking the field as I every I do every day, and you may hear the bees um, in the background at some point during our conversation. There's a lot of them, na- tons of native bees, but just a, such a pleasure to have uh, pollinators around. But um, yeah, so I've been looking because it makes a lot of sense to harvest on the full moon, uh, on the full harvest moon, and the plants are pretty much ready, but not every plant I'm noticing is uniformly Ripe, and I grow for food mainly, so I, I'm looking at seeds rather than just flowers or other factors. Well, I know you're out in New Mexico in a beautiful spot, um, remote, some would say, but we're really interested in hearing about what brought you there um, and a bit about your background. I think you're from the East Coast, if memory serves. And also um, how your connection to to the land has been built and how that has um, been a catalyst in terms of your own personal and spiritual development. Thank you for that. Whenever it was, um, a million or three or however long years it was ago that um, your ancestor and mine formed into groups and became hunter-gatherers. It was known that you had to regenerate where you were or wouldn't keep providing this bounty, this this Garden of Eden. And um, it seems like a kindergarten, everything you needed to know, you learned in kindergarten lesson. And um, I'm grateful for all the experiences that I was able to have leading up to this point to get me here today where my life and my messaging and my work, everything, really the, the air I breathe right now is a result of it um, from the terpenes coming off the, the hemp flowers right now. Uh, it, it's geared to a basic message, that basic message of not only is it natural and imperative that we in every step of what we do, not just in planting our food or how we build our homes or how we travel, but in every aspect of life and and, and work, we're thinking now about at least putting back as much as we've taken. And this this guides (laughs) every step of my life to a fault. Um, If you go into my kitchen in the morning and think that you might be picking up uh, a glass filled with baking soda. It could be diatoms or it could be um, herbal supplements for the cat. So um, you, you, when you're repurposing and thinking about this, the, we have a no plastic junk rule in the house. So I, I, I tell you all this to start just because it obviously fits into my mode of cultivating hemp and all, any of the food crops that we grow. And I, I feel like the win-win is that it's really it's easy it's not it's not hard to be to live a, a, I'm not, I'm not all the way there yet but to be intent to, intentional in trying to live an increasingly regenerative life in as many facets as possible it's not hard and when it comes to strictly hemp i believe far and away best product your product your harvest will be superior whether you're just feeding superfood to your family or marketing a commercial 
product, if your enterprise is regenerative and you are there loving that crop and especially building soil, which is step one every day, you're going to harvest a better product the way that squeezing an orange is going to give you tastier orange juice than buying frozen concentrate from an anonymous source in a supermarket. Absolutely true. And we're at that point right now, um, as you and I have discussed pre- previously, that um, as people are waking up, uh, they're becoming more connected not only to to the planet and, and to our Mother Earth, but to absolutely everything ar- around us, um, which is reinforcing this need for authenticity in every area of our life. Yeah, and it, it would be, you know, being optimists, um, we believe the uh, Renaissance is, is uh, you know, about to cross the finish line, about to reach that critical mass. And there's so much evidence, even just the half a million of federally permitted hemp acres in the U.S. just a few years after federal legalization, something that would have thought seemed astounding. Seven years ago, eight years ago, there was not a single U.S. Senate vote voting for legalizing even hemp, let alone cannabis. And now we're at the, at the point of federal uh, legalization of all cannabis, which, of course, is how humans have lived for the last 8,000 years, one of its most important plants, uh, uh, except for these you know, 80 years of prohibition. So there's, there's reason to be optimistic. Um, and resistance... I notice, um, well, most people are, are coming on board this ship uh, that I meet in all, in all areas. I live in a very rural and politically conservative valley in a, a nook in New Mexico, which is a pretty progressive state. My, my valley is pretty darn conservative. And um, uh, as well, when I, 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 as you mentioned in the kind intro, I grew up in the East Coast. And so I have a um, lexicon that includes the the... Um, folks that are um, active in that leading industry of that island, um, the financial industry, which is, you know, such a huge segment of our our, um, economy these days. And when I speak to people on the latter group, folks that are intelligent, kind-hearted, love their families, trustworthy people that have a lot personally invested in that, that financial market game, that system, when they come to that awakening that you mentioned, what I've heard multiple times is it's really scary. It's scary to think about that safety net because they're thinking about their well-being after retirement or their kids being able to afford some kind of college tuition. And if everybody starts to regionalize their economy instead of investing in stocks, if everybody starts uh, uh, seeking as customers let's say in any kind of farm product, we'll focus on hemp right today. If you're seeking out, okay, who are the regenerative farmer-run hemp operations in my ecosystem, which is going to be produce the best hemp qualitatively, but also that my body wants because I'm breathing this air and all the pollens from all the plants and everything. This is the plant that, is, that thrives here in this ecosystem as I want to thrive here. I want to get my, my hemp products regionally or cultivate, better yet, cultivate it myself, but through a CSA, whatever, through a co-op, through a farmer's market, or just doing your research online, who in my region is that provider that is rebuilding the soil, saving the future for all of us by sequestering carbon and regeneratively grown hemp that then turns out to be the best quality hemp and from my region, so lower carbon, carbon miles. At, you know, I don't want to ramble too long, but as the Thinking on the entrepreneurial side for a minute, as the pr- producer of, the, of this, um, which my home crop is not, um, this, I, I cultivate elsewhere for a very small, um, small run um, craft hemp product. But when I think about that, I think about things like regenerative packaging, very little plastic, compostable labels with non-toxic stickum, basic stuff. Um, and even if an enterprise has maybe higher distribution ambitions than I do, thinking about, okay, what's the end game, right? We, we're trying not to just be this kind of Kmart, Walmart, you know, every place thing. We're trying to be successful. We want our family to be comfortable. You have a right to that. But we also want to be building our community healing. So what's the limit that my region 
What's the mileage range? Do we deliver in electric vehicles? You can go deep down this very blessed um, rabbit hole. <laughs> and the deeper one goes, the better. Um, so when we're talking about the spiritual side of hemp, it's deeply, deeply embedded in it. I mean, when you're giving thanks for your office every day, because your office is outside in a polyculture hemp field, you're a, you're a lucky human being. Yeah, absolutely. That is such a huge gift to be surrounded by such a an extraordinary life force uh, on on all levels. I, um, as you may recall, because I think that's when we first connected. I was living in Canada for a couple of years with uh, the man I was involved with, who was a medical grade grower, um, licensed medical grade grower. And I learned about industrial hemp because of his involvement with um, medical marijuana. And once I started uh, learning about hemp, I was just completely floored by the extraordinary range of gifts that it provides to all of us um, and the fact that it was deliberately taken away from us for close to 80 years. It's astounding that it happened and it almost feels Tolkienian in terms of, in terms of a narrative arc and a, and a style of darkest before the dawn. I mean, if you really go, I wasn't there in when this early prohibition stuff happened, but folks that, whose research seems good to me, folks that I, I know and trust, what's not often talked about is that the model for the federal prohibition of cannabis was first implemented on the state level, state slash territory level in Arizona and California. Um, earlier, the turn of the 20th century, California was first. And that very old political trick, but adapted to the new world of blaming a scapegoat for, in this case, a non-existent problem, um, came easily in, in, in the struggle between Anglo and, and, um, and Latino uh, forces for power in that part of the country. It's a struggle that kind of continues today. And um, the federal prohibition of cannabis that started in 1937 all these theories about fat cats of various industries being threatened by hemp, I'm sure the fat cat industries were happy about it. And also, there is no doubt that Hearst, in this newspaper chain, fomented the nonsense of what we call reefer madness today, you know, but basically that propaganda blaming people for stuff. Um, but his goal might very well have just been sell papers with any kind of sensation. Yeah, it's great. Well, I love it. It's a great sensation. Jazz singers seducing women with devil weed. Are you kidding me? It's great. We'll sell some papers here. So as far as going back to Harry Anslinger, the actual guy that um, he ran prohibition, alcohol prohibition. It was failing. It was ending. It was about to be overturned by an extraordinary constitutional amendment. And um, he needed a new job for him and his employees. He was a good bureaucrat. He was trying to keep his team go employed and buying, you know, uh, as Eddie Murphy would say, the G.I. Joe with the Kung Fu grip for the, uh, able to afford it at Christmas time or whatever. So he invented a new problem. Did he know that this was one of humanity's longest plans or did he just say, wow, I like what Arizona's California are doing with this. This is good. This is good. We'll map it from Latinos to black jazz singers and we got ourselves a, uh, an, a problem here. And um, so uh, whether or not those players, uh, you know, uh, I, I read a lot of authors who, who postulate that we should be thankful to the, to the villains, to the Judases, right? Because if Harry Anslinger hadn't, hadn't messed around with this vital plant, starved our endocannabinoid systems with which we've co-evolved with this plant, as Michael Pollan likes to say, we've co-evolved with this plant. You can't take this plant away. You can't take any plant away. It's a human right. And... It's just like, thank you, because it's coming back so, so strongly now. So strongly that the really, the regenerative side of him has a major, major force at the table. Um, you know, you mentioned, Mia, that, the, that hemp has so many good benefits. I want to be clear that to myself and to a lot of others, cannabis hemp is one plant. And I can go into more detail if you want, but the delineation between it is recent and arbitrary and that the end game of policy for folks 
I mean, not to get too good on this, who care about humanity's survival, but also who want to see the hemp industry thrive in a, in a, in a regenerative way. There is no more delineation on, let's say, the federal level or any kind of level between cannabis and hemp. The farmer's free to grow what he or she wants. At the retail level, if a flower product where the cannabinoids reside, like THC, are above a level at which a state th- thinks is a, is a threshold for psychoactivity, that state, sure, can regulate that as an adult use product um, for adult social or, or medicinal u- uses. But the burden will be taken off the, the farmer, which is, um, as an independent farmer, I think, step one. It's very important. Um, we're going to take our first commercial break here, and we'll be right back with Doug Fine. Welcome back to the show. Doug, you're raising such an important point um, about hemp and, and cannabis, but also about the fact that not only were the authorities um, clamping down on the medicinal um, properties of both plants, uh, both strains of, of plant. Um, hello? Sorry about that. I'm back. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> um, not only were authorities clamping down on the medicinal properties of, of both strains of the plant, but they were also clamping down on um, the, the access, in a sense, to higher realms that um, that cannabis provides um, to those who are using it for that purpose. So, um, so you know, not only was Hearst uh, controlling the paper industry and DuPont was controlling um, the plastics and the rollout of plastics and, and so forth, but it was also another means of control uh, for our consciousness an expansion of our consciousness. Would you agree with that? Well, and yes. well-being. Yes, and the question of whether it was conscious at the time, at the time, I don't know, but it's definitely mappable now in a conscious way to the idea of plants in general and whole plant well-being, good diet, exercise being the best way to stay healthy, as opposed to relying on, on, on popping pills. And so the, the dynamic, I noticed so in my family, my sweetheart is a really skilled herbalist, and um, I'm very, I feel very grateful about this. Um, uh, you know, only one of infinite reasons why I'm grateful to uh, have my family <laughs> as I do. Um, but um, this one is really has had practical applications. Um, me, I know you um, spend a lot of time in Vermont or in Vermont. And so the, you know, the Lyme issue, and I mean, it's really, uh, she has an effective cure for me. Um, it's worked twice and um, second time, you know, just keeping it away entirely. And um, so the, um, the, the idea that that model of every time there is an issue that we're going to this particular guy and then we're going to get these pills, right? Like that, that, that's a business model that understands and is genuinely threatened by um, whole plant wellness in general. And so um, it's just really, I think, about about educating people um, uh, so a critical mass of people know. And the hard part, too, is that we're so, we're so into taking different camps these days. And for me personally, um, I appreciate, I'm reading some, some writings that Einstein did, and, and I'm appreciating how you know, this loaded, loaded word of science, how really smart guys and ladies in physics and, and math um, helped understand a lot about the universe with you know, no other intent other than that. Um, maybe so there's a back intent of some of like enhancing the prestige of their own nation or something like that, or in earlier centuries of their uh, patron or whatever, dukedom, but like 
um, basically, a guy like Einstein was just like, oh, wait a second. If we know that the speed of light's content, co constant, then we can go further than the matrices that we've been able to use to ma map the universe in the past. And it's like, I appreciate that. And so this concept of, um, you know, all or nothing is, is problematic. Even in the world of CBD, the, the hemp products that I take that I in my own, put into my own body. I happen to grow myself, USDA organic certified and all that good stuff. Love, love, you know, personally cultivated um, by myself and friends. And um, the, um, it's not, it wouldn't register very high in any one cannabinoid such as CBD, but it has what they call an entourage effect of lots of different cannabinoids interplay with terpenes and infused in organic hemp seed oil. So there's a lot going on about it that, that, um, is what I would like to tell because I am blessed with wellness. Oh my gosh, how lucky am I that I can walk and think and talk and all is good with my health. So, but my colleague Jeanette, uh, Janelle of Palmetto Harmony, Janelle Ralph of Palmetto Harmony and Ari Botanicals in, um, in South Carolina, she got into hemp because her daughter has a serious condition. Um, it's not epilepsy. It's, oh, I'll, I'll massacre the pronunciation. So it's, it's just a lot of epileptic type fits, but like serious. And her daughter wasn't supposed to live past nine. The regular stuff was the regular, you know, mainstream uh, treatments, pharmaceuticals weren't, weren't doing any good. She was in the special category and she found boom, CBD went from however many horrible numbers of seizures per day to now she goes usually a month or two before having a very minor one. And so, she, and she's lived already way past how long she was supposed to live of people with her condition. So she wants this, the, the, the amount of CBD per serving that she saw save her daughter Harmony's life. She named the co company after her har daughter Harmony, Palmetto Harmony. And, and she's also organic and farm to table, grows it, the whole thing herself. So she's on the page for me in, in this regenerative mode. Um, but for her, hemp, the plant hemp means this this cannabinoid, this compound, CBD, that saved her daughter's life, and she wants that much CBD in every, um, in every dose. And so would I, if Harmony were my daughter, God forbid, um, I had a, um, a, a, a loved one or someone I, I knew of who um, needed a cancer treatment for, uh, for which a, a particular cannabinoid, and it's not just CBD that's showing some results in anti-carcinogen studies, um, would may be helpful for this type of cancer. And for folks who are listening here, nothing is a miracle cure. Everybody's body's different. And, you know, this isn't like, oh, my gosh, really? I can give CBD and, you know, my uncle's epilepsy is going to go away. It's not like that. And um, that's another factor in this, in this, um, in this discussion. But um, it's also not an instant, an instant cure. So, you know, my, the sad story I always hear about people coming to cannabis for loved ones' cancer treatments is why did we wait so long? Um, so I'll just leave it at that and, and do consult your medical professional because I'm not one. Um, but the, the wider point, Mia, of for me, there's not a clear delineation between pharmaceutical and whole plant, let's say even when it comes to cannabis applications. I am 100% on the whole plant side, but it's a big tent and I'm okay with people who will want a pharmaceutical-style application of hemp. Well, um, 70, 80 years ago, wasn't uh, marijuana the biggest over-the-counter uh, cure-all in the average drugstore in America? Wasn't it, you know, for arthritis and cramps and headaches? And um, there's a long history in terms of using cannabis uh, in, in that way. Absolutely. Correct. Yeah. In the 19th century, it was, it was the delivery agent for just about everything. It was in a, in huge numbers of medicinal products listed in the, you know, the most sort of in the academy publications, the pharmacopoeia, um, medical journals, everything. It was the delivery mechanism. Um, in my, in where I live in, in, uh, New Mexico, there's the, the curandata tradition. Um, it's often translated as folk healing, but I think of it more as natural healing, natural wellness. And, um, I have some friends in that community who said that, you know, cannabis was used as the delivery agent for just about any treatment, um, tr in, in traditional Mexican culture, 
because even if it wasn't specifically indicated for a particular ailment, which is in most cases it, it, it can really help because of our pervasive endocannabinoid system. That's a different biochemical discussion. But um, even if it well, let's just say it wasn't totally the main delivery medicine or herb that the, that the curandar was trying to, to administer, it, let's say the, the uh, a vaquera cowboy had a, had a um, um, kidney stone and he's riding in agony on his horse for two days when he flumps down on her treatment couch, it, the cannabis in it is going to react with his endocannabinoid system and help him relax and ease the pain while she perhaps is administering other herbs to uh, break up the kidney stone. So yeah, it was, it, it was delivered worldwide and not in, in, in just about, in, in, a, in a huge number of um, medical applications right right up until uh, prohibition started in the U.S. in 1937. It's very interesting how the um, the you know kind of mind control piece of all of this, the vilification of of cannabis and hemp, has influenced people who have not taken the time to do their own personal research um, in. September of 2016, a friend contacted me because her five-year-old grandson um, had a kidney taken out from cancer and asked about uh, CBD oil. And I contacted uh, Charlotte's Web and the the Stanley Brothers sent um, Charlotte's Web to my friend uh, and her daughter for for the her grandson and his mother was um, terrified of giving it to him. Um, They lived in Texas at the time and it wasn't quite uh, legal then, but he went through a a complete round of chemo and radiation, still had cancer, was halfway through his second round of chemo and radiation and the, his doctors were suggesting a bone marrow transplant at that point when his mother wandered into a chat room and people were talking about CBD oil and specifically Charlotte's Web in this particular case. And, you know, every couple of months I would ask my friend, has, has you know, has, has he started taking um, the CBD oil yet? You know, nothing, nothing, nothing. Finally, his mother... Um, decided to give it to him. His appetite returned immediately. And by the time he got back to the doctor, he was cancer-free and he's been cancer-free ever since. And in a situation like that, I really hold his mother responsible for putting him through hell, really, for a lot longer than he needed, you know, to, to be there. Um, I I can't imagine all the suffering that his little body went through with all that chemo and radiation. You know, probably, and I'm just thinking about this as a, as a parent, that probably the, uh, or po- quite possibly, one of the dynamics there was weighing which is worse, following the rules, like what you're commanded to do for medical treatment, um, versus losing your custody of your of your kid um especially yeah in texas that you know what's the greater good the fear of the kid being separated from you you know the the and this is just the senate the what a true human rights violation cannabis prohibition i'll say was because it's thank goodness thank heaven it's it's pretty much um over you know and the other thing too is i i i have some um uh sympathy for this but when it comes, you were talking about sort of how the minds work and, and, my, and the minds being freed. Without generalizing about generations, I do notice that for folks that are like today, almost you could almost say under thirty, um, they um, they pretty much like don't see what the hullabaloo is like. Like it's pretty much over, um, and you see it reflected in policy. I mean, growing up as I did on the East Coast, short of murder, even in the liberal community, the worst thing you could do would be caught being one of those low lives that, that, you know, those non-achievers that, that smoke pot. And you could really, your life would really change and be ruined no matter what your color, shade, culture, or, or gender at, um, at that time. It could happen. 
um, in that in that culture. And now it's way de facto decriminalized. Not as progressive as general, you know, the, the East Coast is catching up in a lot of ways. But um, um, but uh, of course, I <laughs> Vermont, uh, as always among the leaders, I should shout out and not generalize about the East Coast. But um, so the the um, the change is, is coming so quickly that this, and the stigma is so almost gone that sometimes there are folks under 30 who, you know, they're aware of the reefer madness craziness. Like they're aware of all, a lot of stupid policies, like horrible policies, like segregation and like, but it didn't, doesn't apply to them as much. Um, and the, the fastest growing in just about every poll, fastest growing segment of the economy to support full cannabis legalization, complete erasure of the stigma and all that good stuff are folks over 60 and partly is because they're seeing how useful and pleasant and helpful the plant is in their in their lives um but it's all um empowered me it's really a fun part of my job that my messaging is a lot about you know this is what the original sort of um the good side of the american revolution was about this is about freedom and individualism and and all that stuff and so keeping aside any any um other feelings about um slavery and and treatment of indigenous people and the 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 areas that were not awoke awakened to at the time there was there was steps forward being made and so to reach those folks because you know these are folks maybe the last to hear the kind of messaging that we're talking about um the folks that are really into that into the storyline um I always look like what I am, a New Mexico rancher. You know, I, 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 um, I present myself in a collared shirt and I wear, and I wear a cowboy hat. And, and the, the argument is, I'm one of you. I drive a Ford truck, albeit powered by vegetable oil most of the time. And um, we are for, the, the patriots are for cannabis. The patriots are for healthy living. The patriots are for for regional economies. Um, and, uh, yeah, so the, I, I guess I'm trying to, to, to broaden that, that um, messaging, at least with regard to healthy living and regenerative agriculture, um, to demographics that, that maybe aren't hearing that in the, in the everyday media that they consume. I'm curious, since you live in such a mystical place, if you've had any... Um, specific experiences or visions while you're working with the plants, any kind of direct communication from the, the mother plant or the, the uh, archetypal uh, mother that works through um, the hemp and, and cannabis plants because um, she's certainly a very powerful being. It's funny that you mentioned the mother plant. Um, all of our home crop this year um, comes from a, a single mother from last year's crop, and, and I saved her. And she, I'm, I'm walking right over to her right now here at the entrance of our hemp garden and touching her roots right now. And, yeah, I brought her out and surrounded her to show all her children. And, like, wow, you have a couple hundred, if you count every seed, you have a couple hundred thousand Healthy children and really healthy. It's just a beautiful, beautiful crop this year. So I don't know if they consciously appreciate it. And in terms of my own experiences, <laughs> first and foremost, just about all of life to me is a mystical experience. For I, I mean, just when, just the, the, maybe it's because you know my kids are getting to a certain level of math and they're in their homeschooling or like I said, I've been reading Einstein. But like the, the absurd odds against being getting him a second of conscious life is um and then and then to be able to do it in good health that is a mystical spiritual religious experience every day i'm not kidding rick really that's that's really how i feel um but um but to answer the question more specifically about you know in working with with hemp plants and other plants in the, around our house and, you know i'd like to maybe throw in the fact that for most of the time we live we've lived here we've had goats and chickens and ducks too um I say most because every now and then we move them on for a little while so we can not be working for them all the time. Um, you know, I'm working for the hemp plant. Um, and, we, and they give us so much. Whenever we don't have them, we miss them. But um, so um, 
it's a more of a longer term awakening for me, especially about, about plants that the, I can walk by and do what Madeline Lingle would call kiving, sending, sending a mental and loving psychic communication to the plants. And they go, no, I'm nowhere near the inventor of this. I mean, uh, just my friend, the soil expert, Chris Trump, said the other day, uh, his, his uh, handle on oil, uh, is, social, is, is uh, soil steward, great guy on building soil which is how we get good hemp, which is how we sequester carbon. But he said there, there's nothing that a plant likes more than the farmer's shadow. And so this is obviously a really old idea of be in your crop every day. It's the number one lesson. Um, and I want to be. It's completely the happiest spot of a, of a happy life. Um, so, yeah, over the course of a year, of a course of several years, maybe five years now, um, the cannabis plant has helped awaken me to the plant intelligence in general and the way we look at our native plants and, and the way that we grow all our, our, our plants. And, and once you've opened that door, there's so much when you think about this microbial um, ecosystem that's, that's under the ground, that's so vital for everything else from clean water filtration and retention to how your hemp and kale and tomatoes um, taste and how nutrient packed they are. And these good microbes, I'm really a beginner at this stuff. I was way more of an animal. Um, my totemic experiences had been after years living in Alaska with, with animals and cats, especially cats, wild cats um, all over the world. And so it's new. My family members have, have more of the, the green thumb than I do. But the, what we do consciously do for soil building is um, – at the right time of year, which is coming up actually here pretty soon, we're, after we do harvest and processing, we go up uh, in the higher elements of our watershed and look for moist pla places. Um, and um, you kind of pull open like decaying wood, pull it up and look underneath. You only need a very little bit. You want to do this regeneratively, but any ecosystem, you'll see strains of mycelium, the healthy local um, fungus, and through a process that I learned um, through this fellow uh, soil steward, Chris Trump, that I was mentioning, he, um, he's part of the Korean natural farming tradition, and there's tons of good soil building. It's not limited to just this one that, um, called Korean natural farming, but there's a method for brewing that out into a compost tea and building the good fungus in your soil. So that's fun, and, and it's working, because a year or two later, you can bring up a chunk of soil and flip it over and see it's thriving. And, you know, again, at the danger of getting wow. grandiose, you start with that and then in the end you're saving your own family and humanity are playing a role because right. that's the beginning of sequestering carbon. Right, right. Um, we will come back to that point in just a moment. Um, we're going to take our second commercial break now. Be right back. Welcome back to the show. Um, this is so interesting, Doug, in terms of, you know, you, men you, you mentioned that you're reading Einstein right now, and we're all very much entering into the quantum field um, as our own consciousness rises, our ability to connect um, in much the way that Dr. Emoto uh, first made aware to all of us about how we're consciously impacting the quality of our water, uh, how the crystals changed based on our emotions that we're emitting that, you know, everything around us is picking up on. Um, but we're also, it seems, connecting to life in its essence with, with what you're describing here, you know, the basic universal life force that's in each and everything, uh, around us in the, and, and throughout the universe. Um, and somehow I, I truly feel that hemp and cannabis are kind of leading the charge on that one. You know, the understanding that we have a cannabinoid system within our own bodies and um, the, the, the way that hemp and cannabis are coming to the forefront of society and culture and just the fact that we can make, you know, tens and tens of thousands of products from hemp um, that the average person has no clue about. 
but yet all of that is being revealed right now. I agree. It it is the spearhead. It's it's the uh, for whatever reason, it's the cannabis hemp renaissance. It's uh, social impact. It's public safety impact. All positive. It's economic impact. Huge. Um, all of it is making what's happening with it being very care- carefully watched. It's what the what economists call a disruptor. And um, the the last big one was Silicon Valley, and then there was the automobile industry and good old Tesla and Edison um, on uh, on electricity. Before that, like there 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 was you know railroads. There was just huge movements of uh, of of uh, of industries and economic impacts and hemp's renaissance is is deeply embedded um in that and so it's the spearhead of what i hope will become the rebirth of the biomaterials era where all of our um uh what they call the industrial feedstock everything that goes into a car part or fencing or just about everything is coming from something that is regeneratively cultivated instead of um synthesized from from petrochemicals um, so we, we all know the reason for this is win-win. It's also better performance. Um, I go everywhere carrying this uh, this plastic goat made from U.S.-grown hemp to sh- sort of symbolize the compostable industrial future and goodbye Pacific garbage patch and all that. Uh, for a couple of years, I was an affiliated researcher with a project in Hawaii, and uh, that was let me tell you, Mia, uh, when you're told your job is to go to Hawaii like six or eight times a year and <laughs> work in a hemp field. And then oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you can only be thankful. Um, so um, I saw, uh, you know, uh, this metaphor for Hawaii, which has to import almost all of its stuff, food and all of its gear and every, you know, replacement plastic filter on a, on a car. And so... Um, comes from halfway across the world because it's almost equidistant between Asia and the U.S. So it's like take your pick 3,000 miles from a normal chain store, you know, auto supply store supplier in the West Coast of the U.S. that's already getting it from leapfrogging you from probably from factories in Asia um, or just get it from factories in Asia. Um, So, or um, grow fibrous uh, uh, biomaterials, plants like hemp and other plants. Different plants will be ideal for different... um, applications in, in the real world, um, but you grow these um, plants and then you 3D print from the fiber. And I, I've done this um, for a TV show that I'm making. I've, I've filmed it, um, and it's not uh, – it's, it's, it's totally doable. The, especially the compostable stuff that you do from uh, replacing kind of like the styrofoams of the world that come from pulping, that's a piece that's, – that's not hard. And the other part of like when you're actually 3D printing, yeah, I mean, you have, you have to think about energy inputs on, on digital age devices and maintenance in parts of the world, certain parts of the world or whatever. But um, uh, it's not super hard to do, especially for PLA, the type of plastics, for instance, that go into Legos, that kind of like really solid, hard, hard plastics. It's doable. Um, quick postscript. Uh, the, we, we were talking earlier about what were the captains of industry thinking at the time of cannabis prohibition? One really fun truth nugget from that era that I discovered from an Illinois uh, hemp activist group uh, had done their work was that, um, is it Sherman Williams? Yes, yeah, Sherman Williams, I think, paint. Um, their executives were in this written exchange of letters that would be funny if it weren't, you know, leading to this, the, the, the problems that have happened environmentally in the world for the, for this next century. Um, right as prohibition, we're begging Harry Anslinger at the new department of narcotics. What are you doing? We need hemp seed oil for our paints. First of all, the farmers, we want to support the farmers who are growing it. Secondly, like we need it. It's the best thinner and, you know, filler agent for our paint it makes us outperform the other paints and now we've got to get it from somewhere else and ship it from abroad what are you doing we need this plant so there there were people for very bottom line reasons speaking the truth all along during cannabis prohibition that's amazing that's amazing i i do have a a little anecdote to to share when i started um my relationship with the, the man I lived with in Canada for two years, he had just gotten into the medical marijuana business. And from my perspective, it seemed like he had a few scraggly plants, you know, that he was cultivating. 
And um, shortly after we began dating and I started to drive from Vermont up to Canada to, to stay with him for a week or so at a time, um, I was back in Vermont and he was doing his gardening and the goddess, <laughs> the goddess started talking to him. He, he is a yogi. He had been to India at 19 and he meditates every day. But all of a sudden, he saw my face and private parts in the, can- in the cannabis plants, and he heard a voice say, you better take care of her. And he, he told me he literally jumped out of his skin. And um, as soon as I got there, these plants just started going wild. Um, it was like a jungle down there. And uh, we were together for almost two years. And when I moved out, his entire crop died. So even though I had no relationship with the cannabis plant until we got together, um, the connection was, you know, my connection to nature and the environment and the spiritual world. And um, it was quite an extraordinary event. And from his experience, that, that's what really got me to understand that I had a really big connection to the hemp plant too. Wow, that's beautiful. And it also reminds me of another relevant thing in terms of regenerative hemp and the breadth of what the cannabis hemp plant offers and, and a, a, a dynamic of the rebirth. And that surrounds dioecious or male and female hemp cultivation versus synthemia for without seeds, um, female-only cultivation. So the hemp cannabis world, as, as I've mentioned, and I really mean it, is a big tent. It's not um, for only one philosophy or one type of cultivation. And, um, you know, we should keep the loving guide the message of plants, the message that the plant has given to all of us. Um, uh, in our minds as we interact and, and speak with each other. Um, and so I'll only just say what, what's the sort of mode of cultivation that I like best. And the way that I like best is I'm very much a dioecious farmer, meaning planting from seed in native soil under God's sun, um, and loving and building the soil from uh, ideally from as many native inputs as possible besides the, um, the local mycelium I mentioned earlier. You know, it's just basically old or organically fed goat poop and their remaining alfalfa in their barn, boom, goes on and fertilizes and provides uh, uh, weed matting and, uh, and all kinds of great stuff. Not that we... <laughs> it's, a, it's a polyculture crazy field. Hemp is just one field, one crop in our, in our garden as... It's been for 8,000 years. Um, the, there's hemp right around our tomatoes, right around our basil, et cetera, et cetera, beans. And um, so speaking of 8,000 years, for 8,000 years until about 50 years ago for, for all cannabis and about 15 years ago for hemp, all cannabis was cultivated dioecious, male and female. That's what farmers did. They put seeds in the ground and it grew up and some were male and some were female. And... Um, so even folks that were aficionados of what today we call psychoactive cannabis, um, up until mid to late 70s, were receiving um, ca- cannabis that was um, fertilized. So for those folks, before my time, they um, would um, get their, if they were just a, sort of a customer, not a farmer, they would get their cannabis in, in lids and sift out seeds and stems and smoke flowers and leaves and um today thc levels are generally much higher because people are growing sensimia just female flowers which are in direct terms they are um they're what's a positive way to put it i, I was going to say sexually frustrated females but they're females that are seeking to <laughs> to, to breed they're seeking to breed right that the THC and the cat and all these things that are so special in my life, having this next generation. And we, uh, and the, the, um, hormonal levels are going to be different. Like, so it's good for THC, you have really high THC, et cetera, et cetera. 
Um, but like, no buts. It's great. Thank goodness for people that grow Sensamia. I, I love Sensamia and it's in its in its in its role. Um, but for my own hemp, in, you know, today I'm talking about federally permitted and under the short-lived 0.3% THC definition. It will soon rise to one, and then after that, let's all work to get it to be irrelevant to the farmer and let states decide. But um, when I am growing my permitted hemp crop, I grow male and female crops because it 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 it, it seems to me that the hormonal balance that I, I see, the hormonal changes and all that that I see naturally occurring when you just throw the seed in the ground as it has been for 8,000 years, um, maybe there's something to it when you're using those flowers for wellness um, um, or when you're eating those seeds for superfood. This is like if you're a, if you're a student looking for um, graduate, you know, agriculture, farming type stuff or biochemistry or molecular biology or any of that stuff, um, is a dioecious hemp plant that's planted and loved by the farmer in the soil, um, um, male and female, is, is that seed, um, does it have more proteins? Does it have a uh, more ideal omega balance than um, seed that is maybe, well, if it's seeded, it's going to be dioecious, but then let's say um, cannabinoid levels in the flower of a plant that's grown from seed like that versus what today we see dominate the hemp industry <coughs> just didn't even exist 15 years ago, which is people growing straight-up sensimia plantations, often plugging clones, not planting from seed, through plastic weed mats. Right, um, right. And just growing just for that female flower. I'd like to see comparative studies in, in those types of modes in terms of you know, what you're seeing come out of the plant. I think you're totally right about all of that, Doug. And I... Uh, there are a number of people in the consciousness world who believe that we're separating into two groups of people that, and this is totally possible in terms of the quantum field, that you are having your experience at your ranch that is, you know, pretty much as close as heaven on earth um, as one can get. You're working in in collaboration with the land and, and the air and the water and uh, the universe and, and using universal principles of, of universal love in your farming practice. And next door to you literally could be someone who's stuck in this old par- paradigm and frustrated and thrives on, you know, stirring the pot and creating conflict and, all of that in their lives, and that will be their reality. And I, I do think it's entirely possible that some people, you know, will choose to, at least for a while, um, to, to not ascend um, spiritually and environmentally uh, and, and choose to stay in their comfort zone and, and what they're used to. But I do believe that we are going to reach this point um, which I, I know I you know understand I can feel that you know well, you reach a certain point in life where the choices are not there. Like there's only one choice. There's only one choice in terms of how you're going to live your life or the decision that you're going to make. It's going to be the best choice, not only for yourself, but for everyone and and everything involved. And that's you know, that was what was intended for all of us, I believe. Um, and that is where happiness, true happiness lives. That is where we're all content and um, healthy, happy people. I like the John Lennon lyric, why, why on earth are we here? Surely not to live in pain and fear. And um, so I agree with you totally. And um, with, the, with the preface of um, that really... The only reason that I would care about anyone else's behavior outside of my, you know, uh, my immediate family, um, is, and you know, for the most part, is I learned so much about myself from the, those few relationships. But, um, but the only reason I would care at all about what that, like you said, literally next door might be happening, is this what you might consider the commons you know like it's everybody's air it's everybody's water it's everybody's right to a you know if they want peacefulness and, and in their lives and and stuff so do what you want if it's not um 
interfering with, with, with anybody else's um, rights directly, like human rights directly, and wider sort of what you might call commons rights. So I just want to preface it by saying I'm not really, I don't really care who agrees with my way of thinking or, or, or not, um, if it's not going to be impactful to, to any of those other things. Um, and that said, I did learn what I think was a good lesson about um, being impactful and spreading the ideas that seem important. Um, I've lived in some communities, I still live in a community, but I've lived in some communities around the world where um, the economy for a while, and all these old ways we're talking about, they're not that long-lived. They're pretty short-lived when you think right. about it. Um, not even cosmically, you know, just historically. It, it's incredible how short-lived, right? Right, and so... Um, the, but folks that have been in the, the economy of the last, let's say, half century to century had been some sort of resource extraction, whether it's mining or whatever, and, uh, or, t or, or, or trees. And um, the folks that are working towards um, um, regenerative living um, in more than one place have, have demonstrated to me that a, a mode that may be the most effective is um, reaching reaching youngsters as an educator um, because everybody you know of all all um, opinions has a, a, a you know a, a, a readiness to start right at this so one activist in Alaska uh, in a former mining community and timber community would take students out um, all the students out in the schools to study the life cycle of the salmon and see the river and then where I live in New Mexico. Um, the, it was called the trunk program where you could volunteer and bring this trunk that was like this mystery. You're lugging this big old-fashioned kind of camping truck into a classroom. And what it is is like all different sort of um, uh, props for a balance, you know, this balanced incredible eco wilderness ecosystem that surrounds us from, you know, the, the um, predators of, of wolves through native fish and this is what a wolf footprint looks like compared to a fox footprint here's a coyote's jawbone and um starting that discussion with kids of like the, the the interconnectedness of all things so um for me as a parent you know my students are my kids um obviously that's that's fundamental um and i'm proud so proud to be to be growing hemp with my whole family and before it was we could before the uh, hemp was legalized here in New Mexico, this is only the second year we've been able to grow here. I've grown in other states and Hawaii and other countries and Vermont and Oregon and elsewhere. And uh, my kids came with me to these harvests, and my my son celebrated his his uh, sixth birthday planting hemp. So I'm very proud about that. Oh wow, that's great. That's great. Well, as a as a result of Hemp New York City, which I organized in 2016, and uh, in the Great Hall at Cooper Union, we had two full days of uh, lectures that are available on YouTube. But I began discussions <coughs> with FIT, the Fashion Institute of Technology, and Parsons School of Design. And I spoke at Parsons um, a year and a half ago on industrial hemp. But as a result of beginning those conversations um, and their own interest, of course, but Hemp New York City got the ball rolling, there are mandatory required courses at both schools where 2,500 students, incoming students, have to take a course on industrial hemp as part of their design basic requirements. That is awesome. And that's really what needs to happen all over the world so that, you know, students understand um, the gifts that industrial hemp has to offer the rest of us. Absolutely. That is fantastic. Fantastic to hear. I know two different woman-owned enterprises in, um, like, swim gear, casual gear. And one of them, when I push this idea of how about like teaching your customer base about regenerative materials like hemp and and she said I'd love to you know especially when we're like liquid and stuff but you know what most people don't care they don't they just care about these styles and she was talking about younger people too like bikini market or whatever and um 
and the other one full-on is going for it and hyping how important it is that what we put on our bodies is healthy even when it's a, a bathing suit or whatever. So, um, yeah, it's really – it's the educational side is, is vital. It just opens up your mind to all the possibilities of what you could create with this material that's been, you know, out of the picture for the past 70 years. So it's one time um, at a Canadian STEM conference, a fellow came up to me and it, oh man, it was so funny. It reminded me of, um, of the, the, there was a Sesame Street character that was like the shady guy with the briefcase of hot items, hot watches or something. It was like this meme that I remember growing up in the East Coast and like when, this, when New York was kind of falling apart economically or whatever in the 70s and, and um, there was like this meme of like, buddy, you know, and this like open this, this briefcase or like opens up the overcoat and on each side are like 20 hot watches or whatever. And so um, this guy kind of did that to me um, at the conference, and he said, hey, I enjoyed your, your talk. Um, and um, just remember, hemp is just one of the, it's the spearhead, you know, it's not, it's just one of the many, many use bottles. And he opens up this briefcase, and he has this swath of like 50 different fibers, sea and, and, and flax and everything, all, all the way through, um, uh, you know. Bamboo. Yeah. Hotropa. Yeah. <laughs> It just went on and on. So, and his That's point funny. Was, and I've spoken <laughs> to materials engineers about this too in my most recent book about this, but about how like different fibers are going to give different qualities and they're, they're all technical about it. Like it's no joke to make an industrial product. Uh, there's a certain uniformity of standards so that the part holds up. If it's on a rocket, it has to hold up and, you know, reentry or whatever. And so like, you know what they call the um, aspect ratio and uh, um, the, the tensile strength of, um, different fibers, but what I came away with, what I would have come away with from continuing years of research on this is just, yeah, there's a, there's a plant, uh, there's a material, a fungus, a plant, something that we can grow re- regeneratively and harvest that um, serves all of our needs as, as uh, industrial digital age hu- humans. That is so true and so important for all of us to keep in mind. Well, Doug, we're almost out of time here. Is there any specific message that you'd like to leave our audience with? Mm, thanks. Thanks for that. And thanks so much for the great conversation. I really enjoyed speaking with you. I, um, I, I, yeah, I, I guess I just want to say I'm throwing, first of all, love and energy out to um, everybody that sinks their fingers in the soil and has this intention of building soil. I think that that's really um, one of the best things that any individual can do, whether it's on an urban rooftop or taking a suburban lawn and and growing something regenerative. Um, And what sometimes are called weeds or wildflowers are sometimes your friends, although sometimes you do have to protect your plants early on, but polyculture is good. (laughs) And um, yeah, please, with your cannabis hemp, when feeding your endocannabinoid system and, and feeding your normal diet, please seek out hemp cannabis farmers who grow regeneratively in your region while build, building soil. That's very well said. Thank, thank you. And how can people get a hold of you? We'll have your bio and your new wonderful book, American Hemp Farmer, uh, posted with this interview, um, as well as um, a photo of you and um, the fact that Amazon has named uh, American Hemp Farmer the number one new release in agriculture. Congratulations on that. That's a huge accomplishment. Thank you. Thank you. And, um, yeah, information on all that. And, and uh, um, thank, there's audio books and uh, options and ebook options that you can link to from my a website or support your local independent bookseller with with much appreciation for um, everybody who reads and listens to audiobooks. Um, and uh, yeah, so dougfine.com is a good place. And if you're on social media, um, at Organic Cowboy is, um, is my handle, Organic Cowboy scrunched together into one word with the two C's in the middle. 
And um, what was the other thing? Oh, yeah, I'm doing a hemp um, educate, regenerative hemp educational course with the um, regenerative farming organization, Acres USA, and that's launched, and there's also information about that on my website, dougfine.com. Oh, that's great. Thank you, Doug. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been such a pleasure. So special and wonderful, Mia. As we were discussing before we we uh, hit record, um, how nice to be approached to discuss this, the spiritual side because that's where it all starts, that and the soil. And thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's, it's my honor. Thank you. And we'll be back again to you sometime in the future um, in, and include our dear friend Alex Whiteplume in that conversation. I'm looking forward to that and sending him and his family all our, our love and best best thoughts. Happy harvest tomorrow. Thank you so much. (laughs) (laughs) Bye for now. 